You're listening to The Courage to Change, a recovery podcast. We are a community of recovering people who have overcome the odds and found the courage to change. Each week, we share stories of recovery from substance abuse, eating disorders, grief and loss, childhood trauma, and other life-changing experiences. Come join us no matter where you are on your recovery journey. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the Courage to Change Your Recovery podcast. My name is Ashley Loeb Blasting Game, and I am your host. And today I am here with the magnificent, the wonderful, the punctual, the consistently stable <laughs> and mentally capable. Capable, eh? Capable. <laughs> producer extraordinaire Scott Druggletown. Is capable, is that part of the Catholic Church in some way? Is yes, that part yes. of the. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> what color is the smoke coming from the staff? <laughs> it's capable. Well, thanks. Thanks for the welcome. I was just down in the dumps and you just picked me right up. It's my job. I pick you up. <laughs> up you go. What are we doing here today? What are we doing here today? Well, we got a Q&A. We got one of those. Oh, a Q&A. <laughs> the Q&A we got for today. Are you ready? All right. What questions do you got, okay? Five indicators that I should reevaluate my recovery. Five indicators that I should reevaluate my recovery. So let's say I've been doing this a little while, okay. like present company, and maybe there's some you little things. Old? Yeah, I am ancient. <laughs> oh. Decrepit, you know the crypt keeper. Yeah, 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 yeah. Back totally. in the day. But you know the recovery has to change every once in a while, right? It can't just remain the same. What's going to work for you in the beginning isn't necessarily the thing that's going to work for you in the end. And what I'm hoping for is maybe you would be able to give the listeners some ideas of things that they might start to notice, things that might be indicators that might be time to look under the hood, do some tinkering. You got anything like that? I do, but I also want to tell you about the visual I had when you said look under the hood. Great. So I had the visual that my boobs were the hood and we li- <laughs> and we li- lifted them up and like put a stake <laughs> under them. <laughs> well, we said you're decrepit, you know. I so know, just... I know. That's what I'm saying. I was like, yeah, my my visual was in line with, <laughs> with yours. And we'll just take a look under the hood. <laughs> I think we all got a picture into your, you know, romantic yeah, yeah, yeah. life. Okay, so if we're taking a look under the recovering hood, <laughs> I took you down. I took you down. No, because okay. now I'm going like, Dak's got like grease all over his hands. Oh, God. <laughs> so... Okay. All right. All right. I'm taking it to the mechanic shop. I was just looking under I the hood. I just assumed that's where this yeah. was going. No, no. This was literally just <laughs> it's an entire, it is a very clinical hood. Right, sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Naturally, okay. And we've lost (laughs) the plot. Okay, so we, as people who struggle with some sort of addiction, are compulsive relief seekers. We do not stop compulsively seeking relief because you removed our drug of no choice. However, we can design a life for ourselves that involves compulsive relief seeking in a way that isn't harmful or as harmful. I would say the first thing is a feeling of boredom in the sense that in your recovery, you don't feel like you're uncovering anything. Boredom is different than serenity or peace. If you've been sober a while, it'll be easier to have an idea of which is which. But 
I think there are some indicators I would pay attention to, one of which would be what you're getting out of the recovery behaviors that you're doing. So for example, for me, some of the meetings that I was going to, I didn't feel like I was getting the most out of that time. My ability to go to meetings has changed because I have a more full life. And so I used to go to maybe a couple mediocre meetings or, you know, meetings that were less powerful or, or didn't have exactly what I needed at that time because I had more time to go to more of them. But if I only have time to go to a couple, I need those to be the types that I need in that chapter of my life. If you feel like the meetings or the community support that you're getting does not feel you're not leaving feeling consistently growing or better, because I can't say better all the time because growing doesn't usually feel better, but you're either growing or getting better, then that is something I would retool. I would think about whether or not those meetings are still the right ones and if a change needs to be made. Do you have any other measuring stick for that particular piece? Because I have to imagine that if you're somebody who's wired for novelty and and you want mm-hmm, excitement mm-hmm. and you whatever, like, is there a secondary thing you can hold up to that so that you know you're not just like, well, none of these meetings are doing what I want them to do because, you know, this stuff's not exciting to me or it's not right, like right. it was at the beginning. Well, okay, so... Depending on, again, depending on where you are, this is just my experience, it having been sober over a decade, right? At the point where I was sober over a decade, I needed to be in meetings with people who were sober over a decade as well. The reason for that is not a status thing. It's an experiential thing. So they have newcomer meetings and people who are still in their first year. Your life is different in its first year. The problems, you're trying to stay sober one day at a time. You're you're repairing the damage. You're thinking yourself into new ways. Like It is a very different road than 10 years down the line when the expectations are different. You've built a different life. You are a different person. There are many people out there who don't even know that you existed before the person they know today. What I found was that I needed to be in meetings with people who had the amount of time I had or longer, who could walk me through and talk about lessons we were learning and things we were struggling with that didn't directly relate to specific wreckage or difficulty not drinking. Because my life has changed so drastically since being a newcomer that while it's helpful to remember where I came from, and I definitely need that, and being there to help the newcomer and be an example is important. One of the things I also need is to listen to women who are mother, sober mothers who are going through similar things. And they're saying, you know, I too felt jealous of the moms who were drinking wine at the park. And I too struggle with, you know, how to be in a relationship and self-serving behaviors and so on and so forth. That's not what you're concentrating on in the beginning. And some people, their experience will be, I need to interact with more newcomers because I'm not getting enough of a reminder of what this is like and what this feels like. You know, it's not always the same direction. Sometimes it's, I'm just not in touch with who I was and the disease, the way it was for me. And I need to do that more. Okay. What about the second thing that might be an indicator that it's time to reevaluate 
your recovery. If you find yourself in a lot of drama and a lot of toxic relationships and a lot of chaos, that may be a place where looking at either adult children of alcoholics, if that was your experience, ACA or Al-Anon, which both are amazing programs that guide people in learning how to have healthy, stable, happy relationships. That's not necessarily what Alcoholics Anonymous or some of the, you know, the 12-step programs are about, but certainly adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families and Al-Anon are places that I have gone when I need skills for managing relationships and, and what my role in those relationships are and what is pathology and what is healthy boundaries and what is, you know, how, how much to give and how much to take. And most of us did not come in with the most fantastic relationship coping skills. So it's not a weird thing that we need help with that. And I think that those programs are really, really valuable to upgrading your recovery and taking it to the next level. Yeah, I love that. So two would be if you find the relationships you're having are really chaotic and that's kind of the, the standard place that you've landed, then maybe that's the next step is finding a group like ACA or perhaps like a codependent group of some yep. kind, something yep. like that, right? Yep. Any of those uh, groups, if you land in one of them and it's not the right one, many of those people can help you find the right one. <laughs> perfect. What about number three? Number three, if you're really struggling with some sort of mental health, issue. I think whether that's not being able to experience pleasure or joy, really high highs, really low lows, major, major anxiety, some sort of compulsive behaviors, depending on what modality you chose to get sober in, if you are too heavily focused in one area, it'll become unbalanced. And the goal is to always, you know, be attempting to balance. We'll never get that perfectly. A lot of us came to sobriety with untreated mental health struggles. And those things didn't go away when we removed drugs and alcohol from our lives. Like a remarkable how much better your life can get if over a long period of time you remove the drugs and the alcohol, but then it can hit a stagnation where you can't get better than where you are. And the mental illness is really holding you back. Taking care of metabolically, hormonally, some sort of psyche evaluation. Like some of those things are really important pieces of the puzzle. And we need to be willing to seek help for those things in order to have the most robust recovery. What were sort of the modalities and things that were most bang for the buck for you when you were working through some of the mental health stuff? You know, different types of therapy, EMDR, trauma, cognitive behavioral therapy, narrative therapy. I had an amazing experience with narrative therapy, which I had never done in 2021, where it was with a new therapist. Everybody who's been in therapy for a long time knows the sheer dread of getting a new therapist because you have to tell them your whole story again, you know, give them all the the highlights. Right. And so that was, I was having that experience and I was writing my story and it was making me sad. And I brought it to her and I started telling it. She asked me something to the effect of, is that true about certain statements I would make? At first I was like, what the fuck? Like what kind of, <laughs> what kind of question is that? Is that true? It was so wild that what had happened was that I've been 
been telling my story for so long. I've been speaking and engagements and whatever that I got into this groove of like what it was. The story I was telling is not a lie. But interestingly enough, when she started to push me on, do I think that that's true? The way I was telling my story was still in the version that was the most harsh lighting on everyone. Mm. And it's not untrue. That most harsh lighting on everybody is not untrue. But the truth is I didn't actually feel when we looked at the harsh lighting, did I feel that that was an accurate description? Like when we went and got into it and into the narrative, I didn't. I had a lot of compassion for them. And as an adult looking at it, I understood the scenario as much better. But my story was, quote unquote, written from the perspective of the child, from the perspective of this is what happened to me. They made me do this. They had me do this. This is what they told me. It didn't include any of the context. But she asked me if I believed, if I felt that version of the story. And I I was like, fuck, no, I don't. And it was such a wild experience and such a different like feeling that came over me doing the narrative therapy and feeling like, yeah, these people really fucked up. No question. But I don't think they did it maliciously. I just don't. And just exploring different ways of growth. I redid, me personally, I redid my step work. I tried step work in different programs, which was very helpful and very cool. You know, it's a constant extraction process, but I do see a lot of people realize that what they thought was just nervousness is actually major OCD. And now that they're 30 and have a normal job and a normal life, their peer support programs do not have enough to support them in their recovery from the OCD or from the whatever it is. And they need more support than that. And I don't know what that looks like for you, but it's okay if those outside issues, as they say, are starting to grow and they need support. I think that's normal. Okay. What about number four? If you've had a relapse or a slip or something, I think you need to 100% reevaluate your recovery and what went wrong. A lot of people start drinking and or using or whatever it is. And then they hop back with the same sponsor and the same situation and the same whatever. And I'm not saying you have to switch sponsors, but something went wrong. It deserves a real forensic analysis of what happened here. And relapse is a process, not an event. Where did it start? What happened? What is my trigger? And why didn't I know? Or maybe I did know, or maybe I didn't think I was an alcoholic. Why didn't I think that? Why didn't I tell anyone I was thinking that? So on and so forth. People have different paths to get to a relapse, but one should take a good hard look at what they were doing for their recovery if they find that they have a relapse and they're coming back to it. Do you find that there's maybe a most common thread when doing that kind of analysis? Let's say you're a detective, Ashley, Sherlock Holmes, and you're going to go to one spot where this whole things started, where would be the place that you'd start poking around first? Our lives get big and busy and we get further and further away from the core of our group or our support or our belief or whatever it is that keeps us anchored to this idea that we are alcoholic or addicted and that normal use is not in the realm of possibilities for us. As we slip further and further away from those anchors, we allow 
thoughts to slip in, like things are okay now. I'm a different person. I was so young. I was dating that guy. If you had my trauma, you would have drank the way I drank. There's a 10,000 things that we can come up with. Sometimes it's just fuck it. But I would say the majority of the time, it's just this, you know, as you start to find yourself further and further away from the center of the pack, it's easier for the predators to pick you off. And unfortunately, in our case, the predators are in our mind. And the predators consist of these phrases that turn into beliefs, that turn into actions. And it looks like it'll be different this time. Just one. I deserve it. I deserve relief. And those are the types of things that would that would be mine, at least. What about number five? Number five, if you've had children or some major life transition, it is time to reevaluate your recovery. And I say this because I wish I had known it more deeply when for me, my major life transition was having my twins. I didn't know that I was going to need to upgrade my, I didn't know how drastic, I mean, no parent really does. I knew that my life was going to change drastically. I did not know that my recovery was going to change drastically. I thought my recovery, the timing or the the makeup of it, the schedule of it would look different. But I didn't realize that my recovery was going to look different. And I don't know why. I mean, I don't know why I thought that my whole life would change and that this one piece of it that's really important and big wouldn't change, but it didn't occur to me. So it really blindsided me. I've seen this happen with people who've retired and they have entirely too much time in their hands and they don't have the identity and they don't have the schedule and they don't, you know, whatever the things are that were anchors in their life or people get a divorce or they move somewhere. You know, your recovery, if you pick up from a place you've lived for a while and you move to a new place where you don't know that many people, you need to do your recovery differently. It is not, you can't just willy-nilly it. You have to re-root, re-anchor. It is not optional. A lot of people, they're like, oh, it's uncomfortable. I don't want to go. Or, you know, it's like, I'll get to it when I'm more settled, you know, next week or whatever. And so these are, you know, these these life transitions are really slippery spots for people where I see a lot of relapses happen. And it's a great time to upgrade your recovery. But, you know, if you can make it better, but more importantly, it's an important place to note any necessary changes. What's one way that your recovery had to change after having kids? I know you got 15. The tangible ways for me were and are, as a working mother, managing the fact that my children experience it as more time away from them and that it's a competition, an unspoken time competition. And even if I know I have to do it and it's the best thing for me and it has to come first and all of that stuff, when your kid is crying because they want you to put them to bed and you have your home group at night and you've been working all day and they don't understand or you're exhausted and you don't want to go because you're exhausted and you've already been doing shit all day and it can become another thing you have to do in such a visceral way when it started to compete with time with my children in a way that where I just, my time was so limited anyway and I was so exhausted, it really strained my commitment or tested it, however you wanna look at it. I make it work 
but I just never had experienced the competition of time. Yeah, no, I think that's really fair and relatable. If folks are finding themselves in this place where they feel like they need to revamp their recovery and they're not sure where to turn, where might they find helpful information? So if you are looking for ways to update your recovery, I am happy to field any resource questions. Email us at podcast at lionrock.life. We answer our email. Feel free to contact us if you have questions or if you have a Q&A that you'd like to recommend. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. This podcast is sponsored by lionrock.life. Lionrock.life is a diverse and supportive recovery community offering weekly over 70 online peer support meetings, useful recovery information, and entertaining content. Whether you're newly sober, have many years in recovery, or you're recovering from something other than drugs and alcohol, we have space for you. Visit www.lionrock.life today and enter promo code COURAGE for one month of unlimited peer support meetings free. Find the joy in recovery at lionrock.life.